I write one last time. So nice to hear from you after so many years. Thanks for getting in touch. Then I turn off the computer, switch off my desk light, and in the darkness, move down the hall to bed, returning to the past for answers, skipping, as it is easy to do in my older mind, from one year to the next, to a place that is no longer there. It's as if I'm swimming toward forever, only backwards. Chapter One The Dinner Table I grew up in a six-bedroom house in Sequoset, Massachusetts. Nobody spelled the name of our town correctly. Letters came to our house that said Sequoset or Sequotics or Socket. And Massachusetts always invited too many S's and not enough T's. The town, seven miles inland, was close enough to water by car but a good hour north of Boston. In the 50s and 60s, the town flourished and became known for its excellent school system and lush neighborhoods. By the time I turned seven, Mother let me, the second oldest and only daughter of four, walk to Sequoset Square without an adult. Our blue clabbered house had slanted ceilings in the attic bedrooms where my oldest and youngest brothers slept. Window seats in the den and closets full of mother's gowns, high-heeled shoes, and cedar shoehorns. Neighbors admired our house for its stained glass windows in the turn of the stairs and in the dining room windows facing west. At dinner time, when the sun exited the front yard, it left a trail of orange shadows across my plate. Anybody home? Hello? Anybody home? On weeknights, at a quarter to six, father trudged up our driveway, flung open the kitchen door, and bellowed his greeting as if he expected our house to be empty and the furniture cleared out. He was a tenured professor at a small private college who rarely modulated his voice between podium and pantry. To think there might be a difference didn't occur to Professor Leonard Kunitz. Hello, Irene, I'm home. The kitchen door closed with a determined thud. Irene! Coming, Leonard. In harmonic contrast, Mother floated down from the bedroom to meet him for a pre-dinner drink. She moved without gravity, a cumulative effect of her pain pills, the ones she took three times a day. Together in the den, Father flipped two shots of vodka down his throat while Mother drank scotch with a twist of lime and one ice cube. She took medium swallows. They smoked cigarettes in flowered armchairs, embraced by the arc of the bay windows that gave us a grand view of the backyard. Usually, dinner lasted all of twenty minutes, a frantic rush to gulp down firsts, then seconds. There's more chicken in the kitchen, Mother said. Luann, could you bring what's left? Luann was our black maid from Haiti. Father sat at the head of the table and ate like a starved child, his dark, quick eyes scooping up the slightest imperfections in everyone around him. He had small shoulders, a slight paunch, and wore loosely tucked-in shirts, blazers, knit ties, and crumpled corduroy pants, which set him apart from Mother's fastidious appearance and those of her country club peers. Leonard, there's plenty of rice. Opposite him, Mother sat straight as a violin bow, her back to the kitchen.
The kids sat two and two on either side. Mother's dyed blonde hair was short and layered like rose petals, her favorite flower. Adorned in a suit and matching scarf, she looked streamlined as a glass vase and fashionable, even when she came in from the garden in slacks, the dirt and thorns clinging to her gloves. Why don't you start the coffee now, Mother said, as Luann carried in more chicken and rice in a covered dish and set it on the table. What are we having for dessert, Irene? Father asked. Cookies. Mother had petite features, tiny wrists, slim calves that she liked to show off at parties, and the largest collection of shoes in the neighborhood. On her side of the family, Grandpa Joe built a successful shoe manufacturing company, which my uncle took over and managed. Mother was beside.